Um, actually, this story is about Larry, but I'm going to change it so that it doesn't sound like it's about him. Um, so you think whatever you want. Not too long ago, we had um, a, a young couple that were in a Bible study that we were leading. And uh, during the course of the time when we were getting to know them, we sat down and we were talking about, you know, where, where they first met. Um, they, they, had be, they had become married and where they first met, when they started dating, things like that. And they were both from a real small town in South Carolina. Actually, they're from two different small towns in South Carolina. And they met when they were going to Clemson University. And uh, the first time that they went out on a date, they were telling us a story about this first date. And uh, when uh, Dexter went, picked up Lachey, they went out to dinner. They went to a movie. They went back. And Lachey was a year older than Dexter. And uh, Dexter wasn't you know, quite as sophisticated as she was at that point. And he was walking her up to the sorority house, and uh, she was obviously expecting a good night kiss because she kind of turned around and closed her eyes and puckered up. And, and uh, Dexter said, uh, good night, and he leaned over and he kissed her on the forehead. And she just stood there for a second, and she whispered to him, she said, uh, a little lower, please. And so he kind of leaned over and he said in a real low voice, good night. <laughs> and... Uh, kind of left it at that, and so it was kind of interesting to hear how some people have met, but the, the interesting thing about the story is, you know, it's amazing to me how easy it is to misinterpret some of the most obvious situations in life. I mean, we can just totally blow it, you know, we think that we see one thing and we don't really see that, and we can misinterpret that, and uh, such an event took place not long ago, Linda and I were on a trip, and we're in Tahiti, and they had one of the... Um, uh, the the uh, local uh, natives that were there were given like a tour and of a, and history lessons of the of the islands, and we were anchored off of um, Cook's Bay, which is on the island of Morea. And they began to tell us a story about Captain Cook and all the things that he had done. And you know, here we are, Cook's Bay, and they went through the whole thing about Captain Cook. And one of the quotes that, she, that, that this particular gal made when she was telling the story, she said how how Captain Cook used the natives to accomplish his lofty goals. I thought, well, that's an interesting way to put it. So as we began to have further question-answer time, it became real apparent what she was saying was, is that, you know, basically he took the natives there and he forced them into slavery. But that was kind of a cleaned-up kind of a version of it, how he used the natives to accomplish his lofty goals. But the reality of all of that is, and one thing that didn't get lost in that translation, was that, you know, men have had the tendency throughout human history to use other men and oftentimes women and children for their own selfish ambitions and their own purposes. And I don't think there's, there's a, a treatment any more inhumane than one individual forcing another individual into slavery. One individual forcing another individual by manipulation, by control, by laying guilt trips on that person, there's probably no greater tragedy that ever hit humanity than the, than the act of slavery. You know, and I don't know if you think much about slavery. I mean, you know, maybe some of us are the closest we've ever been to slavery or the, or the most exposure we ever had is working for what we would call a slave driver. And, uh, you know, maybe that's all that we've ever been exposed to slavery. But you know what? All throughout human history, slavery has been a part of reality. You know, if you go back through and you look at the nation of Israel, Israel was enslaved in Egypt and also again in Babylon. And they were taken into captivity and they were forced to do that which their captors desired for them to do. If you go through the Bible at all, the book of Philemon in the New Testament is a book that is written to a slave owner. You know, during the, after the fall of Greece and during the Roman Empire, Rome used slaves. And Philemon was a slave owner 
And the letter is written to him regarding a slave of his who had run away to Rome and in Rome had heard the gospel and had given his life to Jesus Christ and had become a Christian. And so the book of Philemon is written to Philemon, the slave owner, telling him how to deal with this runaway slave of his. The Spanish and the French used slaves to work the boats as they sailed the world, often kidnapping natives along the way. The Chinese were Shanghai and brought to America to work on the railroads. And probably the most obvious form of slavery to most of us is what took place in our own country. And as Africans were taken and shackled and chained and thrown on ships and brought across into a new country to work the plantations, sold into slavery and manipulated and controlled. And, then, you know, if you've seen Alex Haley's uh, doc, docudrama, Roots, you got a good feel for what slavery really was all about that many of us had never had exposure to. And the interesting thing to me as an American, and as I look back on the history of our country, and maybe it's more amazing, maybe it's more confusing, is that to think that our forefathers were willing to fight for their own freedom and to win this country's independence, yet did not hesitate to enslave others, and it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I don't know if it does to you, but you, know, you stop and think about it. Free citizens owning slaves. There, there's, there's, there's something wrong with that. And it took a civil war to break that yoke. It took a president that was willing to stand in the gap, to be misunderstood, to be, mis to be uh, maligned and ultimately killed for a cause that he believed was worth dying for. And Abra at Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural address in 1865, only weeks before he was assassinated, his voice broke as he spoke how strange it was, quote, that any men should dare to ask a just God's assistance and wringing their bread from the sweat of other men's faces. Ultimately, the, with the adoption of the 13th Amendment of the United States Constitution, slavery, slavery was legally abolished, and it was then that black slaves all across America were officially set free. On December 18, 1865, the Constitution was amended, and though he was dead, Lincoln still spoke, and his dream was finally realized. And the word of freedom spread from Capitol Hill down into the alleys of Virginia and the back roads of the Carolinas and even deeper into the plantations of Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, and Louisiana. And the headlines of newspapers in virtually every state trumpeted the same message, and that is that slavery was legally abolished and that we were free at last. Freedom. Something that every prisoner or anybody that is held captive longs for, prays for, and cannot wait until that day comes. Freedom. Maybe the closest that we've ever come in our culture is that you've worked at a place and you felt you've been in captivity and you finally quit and you go and you find a job and you realize that, you know what, there is life after captivity. I've talked to many guys who played for the Rams <laughs> that have called me and said, man, I love playing in the NFL again. Pittsburgh's a wonderful city. San Francisco is a great city. Miami is a wonderful city. And it's, it's almost like a sense of freedom that takes place when you leave some place that is so manipulative and, and, and so contriving and so guilt-oriented. And in many cases, I think what we need to understand is that you think that when somebody is given their freedom, that they'd enjoy being free. But the interesting thing is, if you know anything about the history of our country, is that even though... Men and women all throughout 
our country were given their freedom, the vast majority of slaves in the South who were legally freed continued to live as slaves. They were free to leave and to go and to do, but they chose to remain slaves. Shelby Foote, in his work on the Civil War, writes this. He says that the black locked in a caste system of race etiquette as rigid as any he had known in formal bondage. Every slave could repeat with equal validity what an Alabama slave had said in 1864 when asked what he thought of the great emancipator whose proclamation went into effect that year. He said this, I don't know nothing about Abraham Lincoln, except they say that he set us free. And I don't know nothing about that neither. Think about how tragic that is. A great civil war was fought. A president was assassinated. An amendment to the Constitution was signed into law. Once enslaved, men, women, and children were now legally free. They were free at last. Yet amazingly, many of them continued to live in fear and continued to live in slavery. And cruel and brutal though many of their owners were, black men and women chose to keep serving the same old master until the day that they died. The philosophy of the plantation owners at the time was if you could keep them ignorant, you can keep them in the fields. And that is tragic. But let me take it one step further because I see something that's as tragic as that. And that is that there are men and women who have come to know Jesus Christ and have been freed from their sins by the greatest emancipator that ever walked the face of the earth <clears throat> and continue to choose to live in slavery. You'd almost think that the motto was keep them ignorant of grace and we'll keep them in bondage. Keep them ignorant of what God has offered and we can keep them under our control. Keep them ignorant of God's grace, and we can keep them in slavery. And that's really a sad truth of what's going on in our culture today. There are many Christians, if you look around, well, I mean, you know, what breaks my heart is, is that <clears throat> I, see, I see men and women that come to know Jesus Christ, and I see a sense of joy that they've never had in their life. I see excitement and enthusiasm for the things of God. And oftentimes I look around and, and, and I wonder, you know, if, if we're passing out pickle juice when we walk into this church. Or, and, and I, want, I want just to ask you some questions that I struggle with. And that is that, why does there appear to be such a lack of joy for those who've been set free? Why do we continue to live in slavery? Why, do we, why are we content with just going through the motions? See, what's sad to me is that when you see a person who's set free from their sin, and they're so excited about what Jesus has done in their life, and they can't wait to tell other people about it, it's usually all the rest of us around them that tell them, you better slow down, you better take it easy, don't be so excited, don't clap your hands, don't shout, don't yell hallelujah, don't yell amen, you may scare some people off. So what you've got to do is just walk around with this bitter look on your face and, and act like, yes, I've been set free and isn't this wonderful? 
Man, I, you know, I can't believe, I mean, I can't believe that if you were, uh, you know, a black slave uh, and working the plantations in Alabama, picking, picking cotton when it's 95 degrees out, 95% humidity, and if you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. I can't believe if somebody said, you don't have to do that anymore, they'd walk away going like this. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Man, you know there'd be some shouting going on. You know there'd be some hallelujahs. Can I hear a hallelujah? Oh, amen. Can I hear one of those? Oh, you know, isn't that fun to loosen up a little bit? I, I enjoy it. it. Thank you, brother. You know, and it's like, we're free at last. We're, gonna, we're free at last. Free. Can I get a clap? Some, can people clap their hands while we're singing a song? No, I don't know. We don't do that here. Well, why don't we do that here? Because we're uptight. Because we're in slavery. Because we're afraid. We're intimidated. We feel guilty. If I clap, they don't clap. I feel guilty. I'm doing something wrong. It's like, what is wrong with us? Can you enjoy what God has done for you? Man, I'll tell you what. There's nothing more attractive than a person that loves life. That has a smile on their face. That know they've been freed and what they've been freed from. I mean, stop and think about this. I mean, I, 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 Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Thank you. Turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. And we're going to look at something here. And I'll tell you what. This is the greatest analogy when we're talking about slavery and being free from it. I mean, that's what sin is all about. Romans chapter 3. Let me, let me just share some things with you. Romans 3, let's start with verse 9. I just want to share three things with you. Just so you understand this analogy really works. It says, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. See, one of the problems that they had was is that they compared themselves to one another. They were saying, well, you know, aren't the Jews better than the Greeks? And that's the question that's being asked, and it's also one that's being answered. And it is, you know what? No, we've already declared that we are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. And all have turned aside. Together they've become useless. There is none who does good. There's not even one. Their throat is an open grave, and with their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, and every mouth may be closed, and all the world may become accountable to God, because by the works of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. One of the purposes of God's laws, what he says are right and what he says are wrong, is to help us to understand that none of us would ever be able to do what God would require, and that is to be perfect, to keep the letter of the law to every dot of I and every cross T. That is, we've got to do exactly what God says. So the purpose of the law, according to the book of Galatians, was that it was a tutor or a teacher that led us to Christ because we knew and we know that we cannot do that which God requires of us, and that is to keep His laws perfectly all the time. And so we need a Savior from our condition, which means that we can't do anything to please God. 
Now, one of the big problems that steals joy out of each of our lives is that we look at one another and we compare ourselves to one another and some of us sometimes think that we're better than other people. We think that we're different. We think that we're better. We think that, oh, we've been Christians longer, so we're more important or we're more special or we're more a child of God than a person who gives their life to Jesus today, doesn't have a clue what's going on, hasn't grown in their faith, doesn't understand how to walk with God, doesn't understand even what's right or wrong. All they know is they need a Savior and they cry out and ask Jesus Christ to come in their life and forgive them their sins. And they, according to the Bible, have been set free from their sin and they become a child of God. But some of us, 15, 20, 15, 25, 30, 45, 50 years downstream, somehow think that we are now better than they are because we've been a child of God longer. But the reality of what's going on here is a very simple thing, and that is that all of us were enslaved to sin. Every one of us, none of us are righteous, no, not one. And you go down through it, there's none righteous, there's none who seeks God, all have turned aside, there is no one who does good, not even one. And it goes on and explains the fact that, you know what, every person on the face of the earth has one thing in common, and that is that we are all sinners before God. None of us have anything to brag about over anybody else. We are all sinners before God. We have no spiritual understanding. There's nothing worthwhile in anything that we've done. There are no achievements that are pleasing to God. There's no purity. There's no innocence. There's no peace. There's no hope. There's nothing. We were unable to escape because all of us were slaves to sin. The chains and the shackles around our feet and around our hands are representative of the same chains and shackles that we see in pictures of slaves who cannot in any way, shape, or form ever free themselves from the chains that bind them. They need to be emancipated. They need an emancipator. They need someone to buy them at a price and to set them free. And you know what? So do we. And you know what? The wonderful thing is, look at verse 21 through 24. But we're told, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known or manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. To qualify for freedom, you don't have to be born in a certain country, you don't have to make a certain amount of money, you don't have to speak a certain language, you don't have to have a certain skin color, you don't have a certain education or come from a certain culture to qualify for freedom. There is absolutely nothing that we can do. There is no distinction because we're all slaves. And you know what? There's a day that comes when Jesus sets us free. You see, what he did was he walked by us and he saw us on the trading block. And he saw us standing there and we were being auctioned off. And we were slaves to our sin. And there was the, nothing that we could do to set ourselves free. And the greatest emancipator that ever walked the face of the earth walked by and said, I will buy you with a price. I will set you free. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth and he says, Don't you know that you've been bought with a price? And that price was the blood of Jesus Christ. His blood shed on the cross for our sins is the only thing that could set us free from the slavery of sin. We were all enslaved to sin. And there was a day that came when Jesus walked by and he said, you know what? I will buy you with a price. 
if you would just receive what I'm telling you. If you would just believe what I'm telling you. That now you are set free. You can go. And the question is, as you consider all these things, why would anyone want to serve a former master who was so cruel when we have one who gave up everything to set us free? I don't understand that. But I don't understand why those who were free from slavery chose to continue to live on plantations and continue to be abused by a master that was cruel to them. I don't understand that either. But the reality is that that happens. And that's true. See, when you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, to forgive you of your sins, whatever the wordage, the verbiage, the jargon, it doesn't matter, it was the sincerity of your heart. When you came to the point where you believed that He died for you and that you wanted to know Him, the Bible says that He set us free. But before that, we couldn't get free. I want to ask you a question. Think about your life before you were set free. Think about the habits that you had, the lifestyle that you lived in, and the things that you engaged in. Read Ephesians chapter 4 and Galatians chapter 5, where we were controlled by our glandular desires. Where we couldn't, we, I mean, where we, I mean I, I, mean, I, I mean, I talk like a sailor and I was never in the Navy. And it was like, I'm serious. I mean, growing up in Pittsburgh, English was almost a primary language, but swearing really was, I think. And every other word was something like that. And even though you try to clean it up and you try to clean it up around certain people and you try to control that, the reality of it was that's who I was. And the things that I did and, and, and drinking and running around and doing all the stuff that you do. And even though you, there are many times where you hate every minute of it. And there are many times where people try to lead you to believe that you're having a great time. And isn't it a lot of fun? And I've always struggled with, I don't know how much fun sticking your head in a toilet and throwing up all night is. But, you know, but weekends were made for Michelob and that's exactly what you're supposed to do. And isn't that a great time? And you, lay, and you sit around and you go, man, you know what? I, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be this way anymore. And so you try to stop. And you can't. You, you can't. You keep doing the same things over and over again. And see, some of us have this misunderstanding that if people would just clean up their lives and stop doing the things that they're doing, that somehow or another, that life would be better. But what we're failing to understand is that they are slaves to sin. They sin because they're sinners. They act the way they do because that's the nature, the condition of their heart. That's who they are. And see, what grace is all about and what we totally have misunderstood, and, and the simplest thing, the most obvious thing is this, you cannot free yourself from sin, only Jesus can free you from it. Alright, do we got that? So would we please stop trying to dictate to people around us who have never come to know Jesus how they're supposed to live as if they do? Because you can't. And what's so confusing to them is, is that those of us who have been set free from sin, oftentimes still live like we haven't. Some of us continue to live like we're slaves to sin. And we use all the, you know, you know how it is, you use all the language. You know, it's like some of us, I mean, we, we're just like that Alabama slave. You know, I don't know nothing about grace, say they set, set us free, and I don't know nothing about that neither. Let me tell you something. To remain a slave after you've been set free is your decision. It's your choice. There's freedom in remaining a slave. 
Because you already know what it's all about. You've been there, done that. There's fear in walking toward freedom, isn't there? I mean, why do you think certain churches in the world can manipulate people and make them do things that you step back and you go, why why are these people doing this? Because that's the way I was raised. We always did that. And if we didn't do that, we were made to feel so guilty that somehow now we didn't even have a relationship with God anymore. If I didn't do what I was told to do, then then there was something wrong with me. Then I was a bad girl. I was a bad boy. And we get that same mentality as we grow older. And then we got a whole bunch of parents who are trying to tell their kids that they need to do this, that, and the other thing because they have to do it. And they're sitting there thinking, I don't have to do anything. Because when I'm free from this, I'll do what I want to do. See, there's no joy in following Jesus if you think you have to do what other people are telling you to do. There's no freedom that comes unless you realize that we do what we do because we want to do what we do. Because he gives us the freedom to choose what we would like to do. See, there are many of us who still live like slaves, you know, and and, and we we use things like, I can't help myself. That's just the way that I am. That's the way I've always been. That's just the way that it's going to be. I just got these desires and I got these needs, man, and I got, you know, this and that and the other thing. What we're really saying is, you know what, I'm a slave. And I don't care what they say. I don't care that Jesus set us free. I'm comfortable doing these things. Even though now I'm not comfortable doing these things because now I know I have a choice. You see what the struggle is? See, when Jesus sets you free from sin, all of a sudden now you're convicted about it if you want to keep living in it. Romans chapter 6, we ask the question, what can we say? Shall we continue to sin so that grace may increase? And the answer is no way. What are you, crazy? We'll talk about that. But the reality of it is, you know what? If you've been set free, you're free. Now, if you want to keep on picking cotton and working out in that high humidity and getting beat by chains and whips and having dogs chase you and run after you, hey, that's your choice. But I ain't going that way. Which way you want to go? And the reality of all of it is, is this. You know what? I think the devil wants to keep us ignorant so he can keep us in our sins. And the wonderful thing about the Word of God is the Word of God is truth and it'll set you free. And all we got to do is spend some time reading it. But all Scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for teaching. And teaching combats ignorance every time. So I just want to share a couple of things with you. And you consider it if you want. But let's take a look at Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. And I'm just going to share with you three, three ways that God says that we can live in freedom. Three ways to live in freedom. Romans chapter 6. What a great passage is it asks the question. You see, here's, here's basically this, this chapter is broken up into two sections. And we'll talk about the second half of it next week. And that is in verse 15. It asks the question about, well, wait a minute. You know, well, can't this be abused? And the answer is absolutely. If you give pre- people the freedom to choose, 
It doesn't mean that we're always going to make the right choice. And it can be abused, but it doesn't negate grace at all. The reality of it is that we have to learn how to make right choices, and we'll talk about that next week. But the first question of the first half for verses 1 through 14, it deals with another question, and that is this. What about those who try to nullify grace by doing whatever, you know, just denying that it exists? And he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? He says, may it never be. How can those who have died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he gives... He lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not master over you, for you are not under law, but you are under grace. Three points. Number one. We're told that we're to know. If you want to live in freedom, we have to know the truth. Because it is the truth that will set us free. We have to know what the Bible clearly teaches as far as sin nature is concerned. For those who have asked Jesus Christ to be Lord of their life, who have been freed from that sin, the Bible clearly tells us that, you know what? Knowing this in verse 6, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. That is a fact. That is the truth. That is no different than a slave who is standing on an auction block and somebody walks up to him and says, you are now free to go. You've been bought with a price. And the person who has bought you does not want to control you, does not want to manipulate you, does not want to force you into slavery for his purposes, but has chosen to give you the freedom to do whatever it is that you want to do. Now, I know that as a slave and you're standing there and somebody tells you that, the temptation is going to be to say, no, this is a trick. This has to be a trick. This can't be true. And that's why we've got to go to what the text says. And God says this to me and to you, if you know Jesus Christ, he says, Chuck, your old self was crucified with him and that body of sin is done away with and you're no longer a slave to sin. Know that for a fact. Now, if you are struggling with an area of your life and you are saying, I cannot stop doing this, the question that you have to ask yourself is a very simple one. Have I come to a point in my life where I believe that Jesus Christ died for me? I believe that He is who He claimed to be, that He's God in human flesh. He died for my sins. He rose again and He conquered death and He conquered sin. And I believe that and I've accepted that in my life and in my heart. 
If that is true, the Bible says you become a child of God, all things pass away, all things become new, and that you are no longer a slave to sin. Now, you may have that little devil sitting on your shoulder saying, oh, you can't get free from this. But the reality of what the Word of God says is that, you know what, the moment you invited Jesus Christ in your life, He freed you from it. Now, you can choose to stand on the auction block for the rest of your life. You can choose to go back into the cotton field and pick cotton. You can choose to keep getting whipped by that old master. Or you can believe that you're free and you can walk in your freedom. But it's your choice. Because once a a slave's been set free, it's only their choice that keeps them in slavery. See, that's why we have to know what the Bible says. And that's exactly what it says. We have been freed from sin. And if we've died with them, then we're going to live with them. Number two, the Bible says that we're to consider these things. I think one of the biggest problems that many of us deal with is that we haven't sat down and considered these things. It's an accounting term. It means to take a good, hard, close look at it, to examine the bottom line. It means to take a look and see if these things aren't true. To consider these things, to calculate, to take into account. And it says in verse 11, So even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but to alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider these things to be true. Take it into account, because it is. And then live accordingly. If you've ever driven down a coast highway... You know what a beautiful road that it is if you've ever gone up towards San Francisco. And an analogy I think about oftentimes, and I've used it in having this conversation with many people who struggle with just continuing to do the things that they say they don't want to do, but they keep doing them anyway, and they say that they're just powerless to stop it. And that is if you look at the road and you go up there, you know, the state of California had a couple of different options, right? At every dangerous curve, and there's many of them on, on that particular route, but it's a gorgeous road and it's got, you know, what great scenery. But at every, every dangerous curve, the state of California could have done one of two things. They could have built like a little mini infirmary or hospital at the bottom of the hill. No, I mean, that's an option. And, and, and what it was for was that every, every time somebody would go off the road, they'd be right there and they'd be able to get out there as quick as they could and hopefully patch them up, bandage them up before they died. Because people were going to drive over the cliff. Now, that's an option. Now, the second option is that they could just put signs up that say, danger, curvy road ahead, or whatever. You know what I mean? Danger, slow down, dangerous road, watch where you're going, this is dangerous, and, I mean, those are the two options. So, you know, being fiscally minded, as they always are in the state of California, decided we'll just put up those signs instead. Yeah, and I can't blame them, that's the right decision to make, right? So basically, what God is saying is, he said, Chuck, you know what? There's two ways you can look at things. You can get up every morning and say, you know what? I think I'm just going to just totally devastate my life today. I'm going to just drive off the cliff. And the reason I'm going to drive off a cliff is because I found a verse, and it's verse John 1, 9. And it says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What they're wrestling about here in Romans is they're saying, you know what? The more we sin, the more we experience God's grace and forgiveness. So what shall we say? Shall we continue to sin so that grace may increase? And Paul says, what are you, nuts? Are you stupid? Are you dumb? What are you thinking? But I know a lot of Christians who still live in slavery and they get up with a mindset that, you know what? I'm going to blow it today, but that's okay because I find... Oh, the bubbles, you know, those bubbles come flying out of your mouth sometimes. You just kind of, you got to stand back. And that's why, like, you're the only people who sit in the front row anymore. But, you know, and, and blow it and say, you know what? It doesn't matter. 
I see people with flippant attitudes like that in every area of life. It doesn't matter how I conduct myself in business because I'll just ask God's forgiveness. It doesn't matter if I leave my wife and my kids because I'll just ask God for forgiveness. It doesn't matter if I go out and get hammered and drunk and all these stupid things and do stupid stuff and get in all kind of trouble because I'll just ask God for forgiveness. And what he's saying is, are you an idiot? Do you realize the consequences that go with wrong decisions? Do you realize the problems that are going to come in your life because you've got a flippant attitude and a callousness towards wrongful things? Do you realize, I talked to a friend, I was like, do you realize the price you're going to pay if you really want to leave your wife and your kids? What are you, an idiot? Do you realize what's going on here? And to have a flippant attitude and say, but I'll just ask God to forgive me. It's like saying, I'm going to drive up Coast Highway and I'm just going to drive off the cliff because there's a hospital at the bottom. Da! But I'll wear my seatbelt and I'll try to do it as safely as possible. We got a whole world like that. Let's sin safely. What? Like God's mocked by that? Are you crazy? Why would you want to keep living in sin? Why would you want to be slave to it? You see the consequences of it in your life? You saw the problems that it caused? The turmoil and the hurt and the relationships that were damaged and everything that went along with it? Why don't you know what the Bible teaches that you are free from that behavior? Why don't you consider it and to take it into consideration and to take it into account and realize how true that really is? And then the last thing is, you know what? Why do you stop? Why do you keep presenting yourselves in situations that cause you nothing but grief? Look at verse 13 and 14. We'll end on this. It says, And don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not master over you because you're not under the law, but you're under grace. You know what God's saying? You were slave to sin and so was I. But one day Jesus set you free and he freed you from all of it. And you need to consider that and understand that and stop making excuses for our behavior. And then he says this, now stop presenting yourself to sin. Stop doing it. You're volunteering. You're doing it on your own. There's nobody making you. You're not forced to do it. You're not a slave to sin. You're doing it because you want to do it and you think you can get away with it or you think that the advantages are greater than the disadvantages and you don't understand grace and you're all confused by the law and stop sinning because we're not under law anymore but we're under grace. Man, do you want to live in freedom? Then know the truth of what the Bible teaches. Consider the things that God has to say and then stop doing stupid stuff. That's as simple as it gets. Ask yourself a question. Do I really believe that I'm set free? Then why am I still picking cotton? Today's a day that you can just walk away from the cotton field and you can walk into freedom and you can go down the road and you can trust where the Lord is leading you. Because I'll tell you what, we'll have a lot more people around here with smiles on their face and joy in their heart and shouting amen and hallelujah when you get out of the cotton field and you start walking after the master who has emancipated you from sin. Let's pray. Father, we're just thankful for this day that we can get into your word and realize the truth of some of the things that maybe we've never, le- we've never learned. Maybe we are ignorant, and if we are so, they'll keep us in the field of sin. 
But God, I believe what you say, that as we've trusted in Jesus Christ, he set us free from sin, that we no longer are mastered by it, but we're under grace. And that we have the freedom to choose to serve you, the freedom to choose to walk with you, the freedom to choose whatever direction it is that we'd like to go, knowing that you're always there for us as we seek your wisdom and as we seek your ways. Father, we just thank you. And what could we give you in return when we consider that Jesus bought us with his own blood? And how grateful we would be to just a human being that would pay the price for our slavery and then just choose to set us free. How much more so grateful should we be for someone who gave up their life for us? What a wonderful master it is to follow someone who gives us that type of freedom. Father, I just pray for all of us who have a tendency to try to control and manipulate other people and make them do the things that we think that they should do. That we would just step back and watch how you treat us. And watch how you have freed us. And watch how you do not manipulate us or lay guilt trips on us, but give us the freedom to choose to serve you. God, may we all become more joyful because of that. May we all learn to accept one another because of that. And we just praise you for setting us free. In Christ's name, amen.